Love Alan Catlett. Yes, I'm good. Praise God. Well, it's good to see you tonight. And uh, I just have a, a short word. How, how long are we going till tonight? Oh, till 830. I got about... <laughs> yeah. Good to see you guys tonight. It was so encouraging to walk in the door and sense the presence of the Lord in here. Just, just Karen, you've done a great job of keeping the the well flowing, the well, the water in the well. It's like a fresh, you know, water bubbling up in the well, and I'm I'm just so proud of you to keep that going. Uh, ten ten years ago, or maybe eleven years ago. Maybe Sue and Gina might know better how long it was, but uh, we we started attending this church. My wife and I, my wife Louise is in the back, of course. Hallelujah. And then my sister, my little sister Mary's back there. She's she moved here from Florida. She lives with us. She's awesome. And my granddaughter's there, of course. Okay. And my good friend and compatriot Gregorio Gallimore. The brilliant one. Okay. Anyway, uh, so we we started coming here, and I met Gary, Pastor Gary, and he found out what I did, and he was like really itching to get somebody to turn this house of prayer into something more than it was. And what it was was when you walked in the door, the chairs were lined up like down the aisle, just in the back part. And they were turned away from each other, and they just looked at the walls. So you came in, you sat down, and you looked at the walls, and you prayed for stuff. And uh, so he brought me down here, and I looked around, and I, I said, I, I could never do this. I can't do this. I, I, I can't. Sorry. I mean, I can't give my time to just stir enough people to pray for stuff on the wall. I mean, bless all the missionaries that need prayer and all the needs that need praying for it because we could have, we could have a, a, you know, we could have brochures of missionaries piled from the floor to the ceiling with all their requests and we, it would kill us to try to pray for them all. It would just wear us out. We would be burned out from it. And I said, if you want a house of prayer where we bring the presence of God, and we, we bring people into God's presence, and we pray the scriptures, and we sing over each other, and pray for each other, and then, yeah, we're going to pray for the things on the wall, but that wouldn't be our first priority, and so he gave me the okay to do that, and we started cultivating worship teams, and uh, we had an in internship in the school of prayer, and those kind of things, and so... That was not easy to do because the church's culture was praying for the stuff on the wall. They didn't even get, they, it was hard for them to get what I was talking about. You didn't, you didn't have Michaels and the Keishas. They, that didn't exist. You didn't have Alan Garrens or that. That didn't exist here. It was only people who knew how to pray for the stuff on the wall. And they didn't know how to enter into God's presence. And so we started teaching and preaching and encouraging people how to, how much God loves them and how much He's in love with them and how how much they're His beloved and how He delights in them and how they can come to the throne of grace and encounter a God who really loves them and that our relationship with God is about love. It's about the great commandment, loving. Uh, him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength because he loves us with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. He created the entire universe, all the planets, all the galaxies, billions and trillions of them, so that he could have a people on this little tiny planet who look to him and say, Wow, you're awesome. Wow, you're amazing. Wow, you're glorious. And then, then he would turn around and pour his love back into us. That was, that was what I was contending for. So there was this pendulum, if you can imagine, swinging. And it was over here swinging on what we call issues-based prayer, where our, we spend all our time praying down the list and the issues. And we had to take that pendulum and pull it all the way across and hold it up like this. 
in the intimacy, we're going to know God. We're going to be the people that know and love God and do exploits for Him. And we had to hold that there and fight for that. And we, I fought for that the whole time I was here. The whole time I was here, I fought. I fought in staff meetings. I fought in pastors' meetings. I fought everywhere I went. I fought to hold that there because I knew once we let that pendulum go, it would swing right back to where the, the human intellect wants to go and think that prayer is about asking for things when prayer is really about communion. And I want to read a passage to you out of uh, out of Matthew 25. Matthew 25 is really a continuance of Matthew 24. He's, Jesus is talking about the days before he comes, what it's going to be like on the earth before he comes. And, uh, and in Matthew, he starts out in Matthew 24, he, he Incredibly, starts out there asking him what what's gonna what's gonna be like then. I'll hit one little verse here in the beginning, and he he says, uh, Matthew twenty four four. He says, he says, watch out that no one deceives you. That's the first thing when talking about the end times. Jesus warned the people. There are. The devil's got like hundreds of traps we can fall into. We could we could try to obey his word, and that could become our trap. That I'm, I'm trying to serve God and obey his word. And if we lined up all the missionaries in here and talked to them about what's it like to be a missionary, probably two-thirds or three-fourths of them would tell you, I'm burned out. I can't feel God's presence. I don't know if he's with me. I'm not sure. I'm depressed. Okay? That's what it's like for missionaries without the presence of God. So Jesus starts out and he says, Hey, watch out. No one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. He said, Many will come in my name. Now, I've heard that preached, meaning many false Christs will come and say, I'm the Christ. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, many will come in my name, in the name of Jesus. They're coming in the name of Jesus, in his name, saying, yes, Jesus is the Christ. And then they'll deceive many. Do you you hear what I'm saying? Okay, and if you if you look over the church world right now, full of leaders and teachers and famous people who are saying, "Yes, he's the Christ," and they're deceiving many, and especially in this area of the end times, it's like Jesus said, "I want you guys to get this. You can get this." Paul Paul shared the end time message with his people. In uh, he, this was like basic Christianity. The, the Thessalonians. He was only with them three weeks, and he wrote back to him and said, "Look, I was there three. I, I taught you guys this stuff when I was there the last time. How can you forget what I told you? We can't remember what we hear on Sunday morning by the time we're in, in the end of the end of the lunch line. We forget what was preached. Right? Am I right?" Has anyone ever had that happen? I see people going, whoa, that's me. Okay. So Jesus is saying, watch out for this deception. And here's the big deception I'm concerned about here at Grace. Because I know this church so well. The deception is we put service ahead of intimacy. We put working ahead of loving. You know what I'm saying? We put we put our we put our shoulder to the you know to the grind. We're we're grinding it out for Jesus, and it's made to sound good and heroic and everything else. But what happens is it leads to burnout. And so I'm gonna I'm calling you guys. I'm I'm contending with you guys, contending with you guys. I'm encouraging you guys. I'm asking you guys to fight to keep that pendulum up on this intimacy side. 
because it's a proven fact that people who have intimacy with Christ are the most obedient Christians. They last the longest. They're the happiest. They're the happiest. Okay, they give the most money. They win the most people to Christ, and they're the best leaders. It's This is a proven fact. Okay, so I'm going to... Jesus, now, he's he's gone through the whole... His whole teaching on the end times, when he's coming back and all that. And I'm, I'm just going to read this out of Matthew 25, starting at verse 1. He's saying, at that time. He's saying, at the time, the days before I come. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. That's really important. They didn't just have little lamps with a little puddle of oil to burn with the wick. They had jars of oil to take with them. They were ready for this. I don't know how many times I've said this in here, that we've got to be ready for the days coming because trouble's coming. And if you look in the news, you look at the political thing, you look at all the deception in the media, guys, trouble is here. Trouble is here. We're being cooked like a frog in the kettle, just real slow. We're being cooked real slow. And we're falling asleep into warm, lukewarm water. Next thing you know, the, the, the frog is cooked. And he didn't even know what hit him. You hear what I'm saying? So he's saying, hey, they took oils, oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all fell asleep. Listen, the people who think, and there's millions and millions of Christians who are taught that Jesus will come before the trouble comes. Jesus will come before the Antichrist comes. Jesus will come before the tribulation comes. So you don't have to worry about any of that. He's going to take us out of here before that happens. And Jesus is saying, he's a long time in coming. In other words, there's going to be this long, dark night of the soul that is going to test our souls. It's going to test our very souls. It's going to be that hard. And he says, and they had oil in jars, and they all fell asleep. I believe that means they fell asleep. It was impossible to share the gospel anymore. It got to the point where it's just trying to share the gospel is like, you know, shooting a BB at a freight train. I mean, it's just like there's so much opposition to the gospel that, you know, maybe you could lead one here to the Lord and one there, but it's we're not seeing a huge harvest the way we used to see it. Outside the churches, that's a whole other story. Sometimes we see more. Okay. At midnight, the, the cry rang out, Here, here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. This sounds exactly like the days of Noah. Noah is building an ark. Some say it took him a hundred years to build this ark. For a hundred years, Noah's preaching, judgment's coming, judgment's coming, judgment's coming and he's building this ark and right as he finishes and he gets all the animals on board it starts to rain and people had never experienced rain before and it starts to rain and it says the wells from under the earth all sprung up and must have flooded all the rivers and everything else anyway the door was shut and if you went back a few verses, it's in verse uh, 2437. It says, As in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. 
For the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now, does Jesus just have a bad attitude? Is he a negative thinker, maybe? He's like, he's, he, he has no faith in the big harvest we're hoping for. Jesus is saying, he's telling you what it's exactly what it's going to be like. And we're seeing this today. Okay, so the door was shut. Okay. Find right where I left off there. Okay. So they went out. The door was shut. Later on, the others came back. So the ones who went out to buy oil came back. All right. But they couldn't get in because the door was shut. And what what happens is it says in verse 11, Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Okay, we may not know the day or the hour, the day or the hour, like tomorrow, 12 noon, but we should know the season of his return. We've got to know the, the season, the times, the times and seasons. So what is oil? If it's so important, what is it? I believe it's two things. I believe, first of all, oil is intimacy with Christ. We've got to have intimacy. We've got to, because he says right there, I never knew you. So what's it about? It's about knowing him. We've got to know him, number one. We've got to know him in a deep way. We've got to know his word. We've got to know him by person. We've got to know his presence. And then number two is we've got to have understanding. Oil was used in the lamps so that you could have light in the room. Without the lamp, there's no light. If we shut the lights off, it's dark in here. We, we don't know what's going to happen next. Oil is for understanding the times and seasons. Okay? It's for understanding. We could have in all the intimacy that we want... And everyone's rolling on the floor and, oh, I'm drunk in the Holy Spirit, which I love those kind of meetings. But we also need understanding. We need to know the times and the seasons we're in. Okay? Does that make sense to you guys? So I'm going to encourage you to get oil. Get jars of oil. Make that your number one ministry is, is before the Lord getting oil. Okay? Amen. All right. Karen's going to dismiss me. Okay. Well, that's a good word. That's what that's what we do every time we come in here. We get oil. Every time we worship, we think, nothing's happening. I can't. It was this Thursday night and it was cold and I was tired. And No, something's happening. It's like being out in the sun when it's really cold. You still get sunburn because the sun is that strong, whether you feel it or not. You get sunburned. God is doing something, and this is getting oil, and it matters. Every moment matters. So thank you, Tom. Um, the next of our special guests I get to introduce is Marvin Adams. Marvin has ministered in the House of Prayer setting for how many years now? Twenty-nine, eight? Long time. A while. And... <laughs> Over 20 years. He's spoken at several of our praying church conferences. We call them PCCs. He's spoken and he's led worship and um, is much beloved by Grace Church, by our GHOP. And we are so excited to have him come tonight. You want to come up? We're going to pray for you too. <laughs> so we're going to go ahead and we're going to pray for Marvin real quick. If you want to stretch forth that, as they say, stretch forth that anointed right hand. Or left, it doesn't matter. God's not picky. Let's pray for Marvin really quick. Father, we just bless our brother. Thank you for bringing him here. God, we love him. We love the brethren from across the nation. God, we bless the, I hope, that's how you say it, right? Yeah, we bless, I hope. We bless that house of prayer up there in Indy. We just love them. We say, Lord, pour out your spirit. More, Lord. More, Lord, on I hope. 
And tonight, Lord, we ask, too, that you would pour out your spirit upon Marvin, that you would fill him with such authority. God, that you would enable him to speak your word without hesitation, without boldness, with boldness, without hesitation. That it would be your word coming like, uh, I see them, they're like gems, like diamonds. God, we treasure your word. We hide your word in our hearts. We love your word, and we thank you for what Marvin is bringing tonight from you. And our hearts are ready to receive. Thank you, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Karen. Hey, it's great to be back with you guys. This is one of my favorite little stops in the world. I love it here so much, so it's always good to be here at Grace Church. I love Pastor Gary. I love uh, I love this room. I've been in this room now. I've been here dozens of times over the years since you started 10 plus years ago, so I have much affection for this place for you guys, and uh, yeah, I just want to, uh, I have some things going on on the inside of me as soon as I walked into the room, I just want to share, and I think that's really specific for tonight. I'll be here again tomorrow evening and Saturday morning, and so there's more that will, I have some real specific stuff as I've been seeking the Lord for you guys, but um, just as I was sitting here in worship, I just... Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about my process of how I receive from the Lord when I come in. So I travel a, a lot of different places, and um, I feel like part of how the Lord uses me is like Barnabas in the Bible. So Barnabas is a name translated son of encouragement. So I just feel like uh, the Lord, I feel like I actually have a prophetic encouragement ministry to the body of Christ. To uh, I'm also apostolic, so which means I love planting and pioneering and I love going, I love the Lord moving my family to hard places to see the desert bloom and rejoice and to see God break out with glory there. And so um, I love going into little places like this to encourage the saints, to strengthen the saints. So tonight, I feel like even Tom's word that's just so set up, we, we've been tag teaming for Years and years and years. Uh, Tom's been one of my best buddies for uh, almost 15 years or something like that. 17. And um, and uh, anyway, I'm thrilled because tomorrow is his birthday. And I've never got to spend like his birthday with him. So I'm with my best friend on his birthday weekend. So we are going to celebrate good times. It's amazing. Uh, so, but part of my process is when I go into a place, it's, you know, I love it when the Lord gives me stuff ahead of time and I, have been praying the whole week and just, uh, because I'm going to be at, uh, the prayer room, uh, Brad's, the prayer room on Saturday night and then with Tom's house church on Sunday. So I'm always praying ahead of time, but so many times I don't know what I'm going to do until I get in the atmosphere because I'm a feeler. I'm atmospheric. I'm prophetic. I walk in. I'm like, okay, now I can start to really just attune my spirit and my ear to hear what the word of the Lord is. So as I was sitting there in worship, by the way, beautiful worship, what a sweet presence. I just, I agree with Tom. I walked in and it just was like a little cold cup of water being handed and just thank you for cultivating sweetness. And so that's part of what the Lord started speaking to me about um, for tonight. And I just immediately heard Matthew 8, 20. Um, and I didn't hear that phrase, but I, I heard the scripture and I, I knew it was Matthew 8, 20, but it's foxes have dens and birds of the airs have, ne- have the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. And I just, part of my process, guys, when I walk into a place, it doesn't matter if I've been here a dozen times before, I want it to be fresh every single time. I do not believe in eating yesterday's manna. I believe we reflect, we grow, we learn. But Jesus is always handing out fresh bread. It's daily bread. It's a daily meal. The wine the, the of a spirit, the bread of his body, the intentions and the affections of his heart. It's never stale. And while we can uh, 
try to stir ourselves up reflecting on yesterday's revelation or what happened a year ago. And I think that's all testimony and part of staying in the faith. I'm always looking for, Lord, what is your heart right now in this place today? And so I felt like he gave me that verse. And what I was sensing, he's like, Marvin, I I am looking. I'm always looking for a place to lay my head and rest. And even as John, the beloved, you know, he shows this picture of leaning on, on reclining and leaning uh, in nearness and intimacy with Jesus and his head on Jesus's chest, listening for his heartbeat. I feel like the Lord is looking. He looks for places in the earth where he can just sit down in the midst of and where everything else is cleared and a huge chair is set and we bring him in and we enthrone him and we just look at him because he's worth it. He's beautiful. He's glorious. And those are those are the places um, where when he was on the earth, it, 33 years, he walked these dusty roads. And because he wasn't the flashy tele preachers we have now, who have perfect teeth, perfect wives, the whole kit and caboodle, I call it, you know, so flashy because Jesus wasn't that. He wasn't attractive. He wasn't appealing in the sense of what, how we do our hiring processes in most of our churches. Jesus would not have gotten hired. And so, nor would any of his 12 that he picked have been hired for church growth methods, okay? And, but Jesus, uh, he was looking. So on earth, he was, he was looking. It's why he found Mary of Bethany, like uh, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, it was, it became his best friends. He's looking for people who looked past the, the exterior, the facade, and saw this is, this man is the son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the one. But he didn't come in the package that people were thinking. And so he wasn't this amazing, handsome king that put this persona on. And so I just believe Jesus was on the earth longing. Like, I just, and I think it's the father's heart longing through him. I want people to see the father going. I want the people to see the worth of my son. Every, there should be an altar on every corner. You know, people have so many problems, like there's a church on that corner, a church on that corner. I get the issue of division and disunity, but I'm like, oh my gosh, that there would be an altar on every block where he's being adored, where he's being seen rightly. And so, because the foxes um, have holes or dens, the birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. That word lay, it's this, this picture of rest to rest, to make a home, to make an, an abode. And so the Son of Man is longing and looking for places in the earth where he can rest. His presence can land and rest. And as soon as I walked in tonight, and as I've walked in so many times, like, oh, Lord, this is one of your favorite spots in the world. And, like, I don't even know how clued in you guys are to how much this is one of his favorite places in the world. This is a place of rest. And um, and it's because, I want to tell you, I just so agree with Tom. It's because of this. I'm not saying like this. I'm saying this. It's cultivating an atmosphere where he can be seen as he rightfully is. Where he is adored and his worth, uh, is, his worth is given to him. You give him the glory that's due his name. So that is something that his eye is roaming the earth he's looking for. And so this, uh, it may seem uh, weak to outside eyes, but uh, to the Lord, this is like one of his favorite, favorite places to be. And uh, the Lord is looking for altars in the earth. We have one of these uh, at our, I'm uh, the senior, senior leader, a lead pastor of a church called The Well in Carmel, in a suburb of Indianapolis, and we have uh, we have established an altar like this before the Lord where we're going uh, many hours a week just creating that atmosphere of intimacy and understanding. I love that twofold revelation. It's intimacy and understanding. So the Son of Man 
is looking for a place of rest. He's looking for altars, and this is one of those altars. So as I was saying, Lord, how do you feel about this place? How do you want to speak tonight? I just felt like he wanted to say, um, and Tom actually did, I think it was such a setup, that a papa over this place who helped pioneer and bird um, was encouraging Karen, just saying, because I felt it too, well done, Karen, for keeping the fire on the altar keeping the first thing the first thing and taking the hits that you we all know we take in ministry. Let the reader understand. And so thank you, sis. I am so proud of you. I'm proud to be your friend, to be a comrade in arms in this uh, movement of glory where it's all about Jesus being in, in the central place. So well done. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I just feel his heart of gratitude for little prayer rooms in the earth like this. And when I say little, I don't mean that demeaning at all because uh, God math is so different from man's math. And so what looks little to us, and in fact, part of what I was sensing in worship uh, when he was saying, when he gave me that verse in uh, in Matthew 8 and about this being one of his favorite places and altar, it's almost like I could see a list. Like we have, uh, if you've ever seen on, Food Channel, diners, drive-ins, and dives. Like they, uh, they have a list of like they do a list at uh, once a year of like the top twenty places that Guy Fieri has gone to. And so I, it's like in the spirit, I saw a top twenty list of the places the Lord loves to drop in and like just rest, just sit and be with His people. And I just felt like tonight this was on the list. I mean. Do you know how huge that is? It's like, I know that's very subjective, but I'm going to say it because it's what I sensed and what I felt as I was praying and just the Lord loves this altar and my charge is keep it going. I, like whatever the, I have no idea what the next phase is. I know Karen's transitioning. There's movement here, but I'm just contending in the spirit that uh, the fire on the altar must not go out and that, that, uh, there's such a value for cultivating a place of, of God's presence. So uh, that was my intro. And so another one of the ways, so when I, uh, part of my process of doing uh, prophetic preaching and encouragement ministry to the saints of God all over, I call it mining for gold. And it's never easy for me because I, I uh, was telling Tom uh, after I got off the, uh, He's just asked me kind of what in the car after we uh, got off the airplane and we were traveling to his house. Like, so how, what, what do you got for tonight? Well, I'm like, Tom, I got nothing. I got nothing. I got nothing. That's always how it is. I mean, I have like a thousand messages, a well that I could always pull on good stuff. But I'm like, for me, I've learned, I've learned, this is kind of cool. I've learned to really like myself. I've really learned to enjoy how God has made me because it's different from Tom, it's different from other, other people. And so for me, it is atmospheric. I walk into, I have to get my feet into a place and I feel, and I sense, and I have little clues ahead of time. But when I usually get into a place, I do this process. I've just kind of dubbed it mining for gold. And I see myself as one of those old time gold miners where I, I walk in and in where I love it when that worship atmosphere is going, because I just get a, one of those screen pans and I just get in the stream and I just dig in and I start sifting that thing. And then I look, I look in the spirit. So that's why I always have a notepad and I'm just, I'm looking to find those nuggets of gold for that specific meeting. I'll do that tomorrow and Saturday as well. Um, so I'm like looking for the gold. I'm mining for gold and uh, it's unnerving sometimes because I'm like, ah, because I, I do love prophetic teaching and preaching. So at, on Sundays I have, you know, outlines, I have power, you know, PowerPoint and keynote and stuff that we do. Um, but my favorite thing to do is this, to mine for gold and to go on a treasure hunt. And uh, when you, even as you were praying for me and what you saw about gems, I saw it sitting there. I'm like, what? so as I was mining for panning for gold, I saw not only gold nuggets, I saw diamonds. And I saw rubies and I just saw, I saw jewels in this basket that I think worth it's for us tonight. And so this is what he gave me as I mined for gold. 
And I was surprised because I don't think I have preached from Psalm 27 in maybe 15 years because everyone does. And I reference it because Psalm 27, 4 is like one of the anchor, 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 anchor verses for anyone in the prayer, worship, revival, prophetic, mercy movement in the earth. And Psalm 27, 4 is the one thing verse. We all know it. One thing, one thing, one thing. One thing have I desired of the Lord. This one thing will I seek, uh, that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, that I may be, behold him inquire. So the one thing, the one thing that we ask from the Lord. So uh, it was interesting because as I was just feeling like, oh, Lord, please don't make me talk on the one thing passage because it is my really only. It's Tom and I have one message and it's versions of this message. And because um, it is the great commandment, it is the message that everything flows out of. But he said to me, so I was sitting there. He said, Marvin, Psalm 27, 4 cannot be viewed in a vacuum. Psalm 27, 4 isn't in a vacuum. The whole, the whole one thing, intimacy, I see it always as a seal on the heart or this, uh, this branding iron on fire, this one thing. I am, I am branded with this reality that God is the one thing I'm going to go after in my entire life. I, I will never put anything before the pursuit of him. But the context of this beautiful, it's not just a conference we go to at the end of every year. It's not just a good song that we sing every once in a while. This verse that's so powerful, it is set in the context of times of trouble. It is set in the context of warfare. And um, I love that it starts out, Psalm 27. He basically said you can't separate Psalm 27 verses 1 through 6. You have to look at it. So we're actually going to do just a little bit of a Bible study tonight in our time here. We're going to just tease out Psalm 27, 1 through um, 6. And just I'm going to just give you some little gold nuggets that I got out of this. So I'm sitting here during worship doing a Bible study on Psalm 27, 1 through 6. This is stuff I've never preached before. I'd never gotten it until tonight. It's fresh, and I love it. So verse 1, the context, what I love about Psalm 27, uh, and we go to on a, when we go to verse 4, it makes it kind of about us. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make God the one thing. But Psalm 27 starts out with God, period. It says, the Lord is. I love context that makes us go right up, that gets us upward, that gets us focused on God. That is God word, because every other thing, if we start out man word or us word or me word, I don't even know if that's a word, but I like it, uh, me word, uh, in word, then it really, we don't get things in right perspective. So the psalmist starts this out, God is and he says three things about who the Lord is. The Lord is light, the Lord is salvation, and the Lord is strength. He's three things. Praise God. God, we don't have to guess who God is or what God is or what his character is or what he's like. We have the word of God to define it for us. So God is, the Lord is light, he is salvation, and he is strength. He's those three things. Guys, in the midst of trouble, trials, and tribulations, I am. This is funny. I'll just share a quick little testimony. Uh, we've had a lot going on. So I've been married uh, 27 years to Sally. She's the great love of my life. She's incredible. Um, we have six adopted kids, all the way ranging from age uh, seven up to 35. Got six grandkids uh, in Kansas City. Amazing. Our lives are absolutely crazy, 100% crazy, 100% of the time, but a whole lot of fun. So this week, the warfare just seemed overwhelming and tremendous. And so uh, sickness hit our house. My my youngest daughter, our seven-year-old Dafka, uh, from who uh, we adopted from Haiti, who's never sick. So this week, I'm getting ready to prepare for this trip. So much to do before I could leave. 
Uh, she's had 103 fever for five days. That will not break. Uh, we've been to the doctor twice. It's not strep. It's just we can't. Anyway, it has been this constant uh, craziness. Uh, on top of this, I was in Kansas City doing a trip last week. On my way, the morning, I was on my way back. I get a call from my wife, and she's like, Marvin, I think my retina is detaching. And uh, she was uh, having all kinds of, she was having visual impairment in her right eye from half over, and a lot of stuff happening, incredible flashes of light that would not stop, and classic what it looks like when your retina is starting to detach. So we got her, I sped home, I, I sped home from Kansas City, I got I, got, I call it translated. Let the reader understand how I got translated. God is good. That's all I can say. Psalm 27. He hid me. We're going to say that. So um, we got home. We got her to the ophthalmologist. And uh, they were going to get ready to do surgery. But they're like, let's, uh, let's give it one more day. So when they, they did the, uh, you know, the x-rays on her eye, it showed it was not a de- full detachment yet. It was a, a pretty decent tear. Um, which still was going to require surgery. So they waited one more day and sent her home, which I was grateful for. And uh, and then they did another test the next day. And they're like, this is really weird because it looks like it's starting to slowly get smaller. And we felt like immediately the Lord said, I'm going to do a healing here. Just trust me with this. And, of course, we have no problem with surgeries and medicine. But we love it when we get those God stories. And he breaks in because he can. He is a healer. And um, so uh, it came back inconclusive. And so they scheduled it for, of course, today, the day I'm leaving. I was not going to be there. I'm like, oh, the timing of this is so lousy. My daughter is so sick. My wife is sick on top of the eye thing. Uh, She is the same thing my daughter has. So she's had four days of just being so sick. She just launched a class, uh, a freedom deliverance class at our church with 60 people signed up for it she launched on wednesday evening and just all this like warfare i don't know how else to describe it and um and so uh yesterday before we i'll tell you the good news today but yesterday i'm like holy spirit what do you want me to know about this i'm like we're just feels like we're getting hammered and um immediately i heard the holy spirit say in this world, you will have tribulations, but you've overcome the world. He didn't say a word about warfare. He just talking about trouble, just the troubles of this life. And so it just settled me. It just like eased everything. It's like sometimes we get so warfare focused that it's like this and that. And like, and it just, he just settled all that. And so today we got the great news. My wife went in for her surgery. And of course they were going to check it one last time before they did it. And not only was there no tear, there's no, they're like, your eyes are so strong. It's the total opposite of the first two x-rays. And we really felt that, I don't always feel like that's going to be, but we felt like that was what was happening, that there was a powerful testimony. So I want to give a shout out to Jesus. He's showing off and testify and give thanks to what he's done. Um, so. Uh, the Lord is light, he's salvation, he's strength. Why is that so important to get the intimacy message in the context of that? Because in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, there will be tribulation. We're not going to escape that. So the fact that it starts out, God is light, God is salvation, God is strength, shows me that the enemy is darkness, he is danger, and he's discouragement. God is, see, I love that the focus, let's get the positive first, who God is. God is light. He is salvation. He's safe. He's security. He is strength. That is so important because the enemy, this world, the rage of Satan, the sin of man, our own messed up souls leads to darkness, danger, and discouragement. Psalm 4, or Psalm 27, 4, the one thing message is not in a vacuum. It's in the midst of the messiness of life. And so uh, that's who, at first it starts out who God is, and then it leads us. It's like there's going to be 
uh, these same acts. Let's just look at it real quick. Let me pull it up if I can get my phone to work. Psalm 27. Psalm 27. Okay, settle down in the front row there. I know, it's always Tom's fault. Okay, so the Lord is my light, my salvation. He's the strength of my life. Whom will I be afraid? Uh, I'm going to do this in New King James. There we go. So, verse 2, when the wicked came against me. So, it's talking about the warfare, the press of this life. The wicked came against me uh, came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies, my foes. Guess what? They stumbled and fell. This is good news. This is our testimony. They had this intent to harm us, but at the end of the day, it doesn't say they will stumble. It says they did. They stumbled and they fell. And it gets even, so that's the, the stuff that comes against us, but even greater than that, let's say an army rises up against us. We don't have to freak out. The war breaks out against us. We have this confidence. And then it goes into one thing, have I desired of the Lord? That's what I'm going to pursue. That is the only thing I'm going to seek. It is in the context of war. It's in the context of hardship, of tribulation, of the press of this life. But even before that, it's in the context of who God is. God is light. God is salvation. God is strength. Even though we know the enemy is darkness, danger, and discouragement. So this is the context of Psalm 4. And that's not even the gold that he gave me. That's just the setup for it. And so I feel like he was really speaking to me about verses 5 and verses 6. And so in times of trouble, verse 5, this is what God will do. So anyone else have any warfare or hardship or anything going on in this season? Okay, I'm glad I am totally alone. No one else. I I see those hands, yes. So we, we have those things that go on. And so this is what God will do for us. Can I just encourage you tonight? This is what God is going to do for you when there's trouble. When trouble comes, and it will, will most certainly come, and it will look all kinds of different ways. Like my trouble, my story of trouble is going to be different from your story of trouble. But this is what God will do when that trouble comes. He's going to do three things. The first thing he's going to do this, and I call it, it's the what, the where, and the why. The first thing that he's going to do is he's going to hide you. When the garbage hits the fan, you're going to be covered. You're going to be hidden. He's going to hide you. He's going to overshadow you, cover you with the shadow of his wings. It's the word he's going to keep you safe. But if you start, I actually have been studying this out the last couple of weeks with the word safety. The word safety really isn't used in the Hebraic. We use the word like, I'm not feeling safe in this conversation, Pastor Tom. I just, I'm not feeling real safe. I need someone else here with me. I just don't feel real safe right now. This doesn't feel like safe, a safe discussion to me. You know, I'm not, I'm triggered. <laughs> Wait. I'm triggered. I'm triggered. I, Karen, I'm just not feeling safe. That really triggers me. I'm not saying like you don't see that in Hebraic thought. That's very that's way more Greek. It's actually way more. Let's not even call it Greek. It's just so American. It's so spoiled Americans. And so and by the way, I get triggered all the time. So I'm not like dogging that all the, at all. <laughs> if you knew my story, I love I love counseling. I love deliverance. I love it all. And so um, but in the midst of that. It's, it's actually the word in Hebraic is the word secure. Security is way different from safety. God never promises safety in scripture. He promises security. There's a difference. Like we, we think that God, there should never be problems. There should never, in Christ, I should have no troubles. Nothing should come my way. I shouldn't get warfare. And when it comes, I'm offended at God. He's like, I never promised you that, but I promised I will keep you secure. And so when he's saying, I'm going to uh, hide you in my pavilion, in my secret place, I'm going to hide you. I'm going to keep you safe. The context is warfare and problems 
in tribulations, in trials, in the troubles of this life. But he's promises to keep us secure during that time and to hide us. That's the what. What is he going to do for you? He's going to hide you because of this uh, this vow in your heart, this commitment that he will be the one thing you're going to set your focus on, the only thing that you seek. So that's the first one. God will hide you when things get hard. So Karen, God is hiding you in the midst of this season. He's picked you up because you have the one thing stamp on your life. First of all, because he is light, salvation, strength. The devil's not bigger than that. And you have stepped into this one thing mantle for these years of cultivating this over your life. He's marked you. He's branded you. Now, when the the shaking happens, he takes you and he picks you up and he hides you. That is the what. Where does he hide you? This is so beautiful. So we have the what. You get hidden. You get placed in a secure place. But where does he do that? says he will set you high upon a rock. So he says it's the secret place of his tabernacle. It's his pavilion. That's where you're hidden. Guess what? It's positional. He's going to take you up above the warfare, above the fray. And I just felt like all week long in the middle of this stuff with our daughter and my wife's eye, he just kept, I just kept hearing a little song in, in my heart going, look up, look up. And like this, like, Open your eyes to see that you are above this swirl of stuff that's coming against you. And um, just to rest in that. And so to be positioned where he is, Lord, lift us above the warfare. Lift us above the worry. Lift us above the trials, the circumstances, the tribulations, to where we can get some perspective and see rightly. So he positions us above all that the rock who is the rock that is higher than any other so we are in him we're placed on him we are so high above the circumstances of this life above the warfare or the rage of the enemy uh in this context but again he doesn't say i'm gonna uh i'm going to make life totally easy for you but when it hits this is the process that happens he makes us, brings us to this place of security. He positions us above it. And I just want to tell you that place, the where, is the house of prayer. It's very clear in Psalm 27, 4. And I'm not talking about a physical room. I'm talking about a spiritual reality of Christ in us, the hope of glory, that John 15, the abiding in the vine. You were made for connection with Jesus. You were made for connection with believers. You were made for this connection. And so uh, he sets us in the sanctuary. He sets us high above it in his tabernacle. So that's the what, that's the where. Why does he do it? The third one. So God, this is what does God do? He hides us. He positions us. And out of that place, he lifts our head above our enemy. Why? God loves showing off. I just that's why I shared the testimony of my wife's healing. Why? Why so I feel like we in fact she has been reciting uh, Psalm 27. She texted this to me today. Psalm 27 verse uh, 5 all week he's going to lift my head above my enemies. He's going to lift my head. He she, she just anchored prophetically into that word and i just believe it pushed her into her healing so why he loves showing off god loves showing up and showing off and testifying of his own deliverance of his own power and he's looking for those who will testify of his goodness who will give give thanks and especially uh one of the cool things i'm learning in this season uh about Thanksgiving is uh, so when our I'm learning a lot about the synthesizing of body, soul, spirit. So we're really I believe we're people say three parts, you know, body, soul, spirit. I believe we're heart, mind, soul, body, spirit. Five parts is more of a Hebraic understanding. And so um, 
God is speaking to me about synthesizing all of those things and not living fragmented and compartmentalized, which is very American and very Western and very Greek as well. And so um, one of the things when we are shut down, when our relational circuits are shut down in our brain, so this front lobe core here is a, you have a relational center, something called the relational center. And uh, 70% of human beings walking on the earth, it's either completely the, the, the light switch is turned off, the relational circuits are totally shut down and off, or else they're on dim. They're on a dimmer, and you can hardly see meaning. We're walking around trying to be in relationships, but we really can't connect and feel. Those are our relational circuits. You're made to experience that physically as well. It's body, soul, spirit. And so uh, physiologists have learned one of the ways that front part, that relational lobe, that relational center, how it starts to fire and light up, and they can actually show this in uh, physiology and science, is the power of thanksgiving. And so even thinking thankful thoughts starts to get turn on your relational circuitry. Can you imagine? So if you're like, peeved with someone, even if like Tom just got on my, I mean, Tom has never gotten on my nerves in 17 years of friendship. So, but let's just say per chance he did because Tom's the nicest guy, you know? So, um, so I would just even, and I felt like, Oh, I'm just shut down towards Tom. Like I just, my relational connection is either broken or it's just shut. Sometimes it's not broken, like something huge happened, but it's just shut down. Even thinking thoughts of like, I could just think in my head, Lord, I just really love who you made Tom to be. Like that begins to bring light. The Lord is light. It begins to bring those relational circuits on. It's so absolutely powerful. Science is backing this up. I mean, actually, science isn't backing that. Science is leading the way with this. And now Christians are going, oh, God's word must be, duh, it must be true. And so thinking it, but when you actually not only think it, but you think it and you say it out loud, you're, the lighting up of this center begins to go crazy. So like, I'll pray in my car. For people I'm feeling disconnected with, I pray in my car all the time. Like, Lord, I just thank you for so-and-so. I bless them today. Let me feel what you feel for them. Let me see them how you see them. And I say their name over. I'm like, I bless my brother so-and-so. I bless my sister so-and-so. And uh, I cannot believe what's happening in my heart. And do you know, they, uh, scientists have learned it's the only, so it's a little depressing news that your brain, I think past a certain age, pretty much starts to decay and starts to uh, go downhill. And it cannot, once brain cells start to die off, they cannot be regenerated or renewed. There's only one part of your brain that can be recircuited or uh, regenerated, and it's that relational core that's based in hope and thanksgiving. It's the hope center and the thanksgiving center of your brain, which why, and now I'm saying in all of Paul, I'm just studying Paul's letters again, everything is thanksgiving. There is no, Paul has no word more than thanksgiving. It's there over. Paul understood the power of keeping us in connection with God and with our brothers. And so that's just a little free nugget there. So God lifts our head above our enemies so that we could respond in thanksgiving that ends up benefiting us and connecting us in such uh, a deep way. So God does three things with us for us when things get crazy. He hides us. He lifts us up. He positions us in the house of prayer. And then he lifts our head above our enemies. So he gives us a testimony of his goodness and he shames the enemy. And only then does it turn to I. And I'll just close with this because it's 830. So it says, therefore, I. Our response to what God, who is light, salvation, and strength has done for us. He hides us. He sets us high in a rock. In the house of prayer, he lifts our head above the enemy. Our response is to sacrifice with shouts of joy in the house of prayer. And it's so easy. Like your job description in times of trouble 
is to let God be God and do what God wants to do. And then you walk into this room and you give sacrifices of shouts of joy in the tabernacle. Um, and it says, I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises. Sing joyfully to the Lord in this place. And so, Lord, I just ask you. In this place, this altar, this place where you have found to lay your head, this place of rest, Lord, this place of a focus on one thing. I just pray that we would see you as the one who hides us, who lifts us up and who gets us above the accusation of our enemies and the warfare of our enemies, the uh Lord, the press of this life so that we can come in and as we did tonight, sacrifice with shouts of joy and sing praises to your name. Lord, I pray that the praises would never stop in this place. I pray that there would be daily, daily, weekly, so many times of the praises going up, of thanksgiving, of attending to your presence, Lord. Lord, I bless this place. I bless this altar. I bless this Bethlehem stable. Lord, I bless this place that you love. I ask that, Lord, even these nuggets of gold tonight, these little treasures, it would encourage us to keep keep pursuing you, to keep moving forward. That intimacy is not in a vacuum. It's not all romance and glory it is in the context of god is and this is what god's done for us and it's what he is doing and it's what he will do for us way maker miracle worker promise keeper light in the darkness this is who you are it is who you are right now so i bless you for present tense deliverance thank you for delivering my wife lord healing her eye today this fresh testimony of goodness i am so grateful Let's give you thanks tonight in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.